Hey everybody, Robin here from Redemption Cast. I uh, just wanted to uh, be able to share with you guys uh, this audio I have from the Joss Whedon panel. So um, enjoy. I did edit one major spoiler out of the, just the beginning of it, but the rest of it is pretty spoiler-free. He does talk a lot about his projects of Much Ado About Nothing, uh, Little Cabin in the Woods stuff that I didn't think was too spoilery. I haven't even seen it yet, so I don't even know what they were talking about. So, um, And really, strangely enough, at the end, he talks about his economic policies. So that was interesting. Anyway, I just thought I'd share this with you. Thanks for listening. My name's Scott Alley. I'm an editor at Harper's Comics. Thank you. I edit uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics, season nine. I also worked on uh, Buffy season eight, which we've just put out in this beautiful hardcover. We're gonna have four volumes collecting the whole giant saga. Um, and I hope you check it out. Buffy Season 9 is running right now. It sounds like some of you are reading it. What do you think? Thanks. We've got a lot of stuff coming up this year. We, we've got a 25-issue series of Buffy that will make up Season 9, a 25-issue series of Angel and Faith. Um, spoiler alert, Angel and Faith is all about so if you don't know about that yet, that happened. Um, and we've got some series coming up soon, a Willow miniseries with gorgeous covers by David Mack, who's here at the show somewhere, um, and a Spike miniseries. Does anybody like Spike? Cool. Uh, what's that? No, don't do that. Jenny Frizen's doing covers for that, um, along with Steve Morris, who's been doing a lot of work on season nine, and we're just loving his stuff. So we're, we're building up to the end. For you guys right now, if you're reading it, we're only about halfway through, but we're writing some of the last issues right now and working out the ending with Joss and all that. Um, it's been kind of a crazy year. Joss has been very busy. Um, you know, who saw the Avengers? Superhero movie of all time. Um, I got to meet Stan Lee the other day. I was talking to him at a convention in Australia, and he was just going off about what a genius Joss is, and I was like, yes, it's, he's, he's very nice to work with. Um, so without further ado, oh no, there's one more thing I want to mention. Did, who here was in the Firefly panel? How did you get in here if you were in the Firefly panel? Was it the same room? Cool. Um, so then you heard those people heard that we're working, are actively working on new Firefly Serenity comics. Um, we've been wanting to do it for a long time, but somebody's been busy. So uh, he's been he's been talking to his brother Zach, who's written some great comics for Dark Horse, um, and they've been breaking the story and figuring it out. So new Firefly is coming, and we're act actively working on it again, which we're all really excited about because we love those books and they do fantastically well for us. Um, so a lot of new stuff coming up, and Joss has a million things going on, which you'll all ask him about. I think there's mics out there that you'll form lines and, and ask Joss questions, because I don't think he has anything prepared. His assistant suggested I just do this for 45 minutes, and then give Joss 10 minutes at the end, but I knew you'd kill me, so. Uh, so here's Joss Whedon.
that's how we met. <laughs> Crowded room. He looked like a bunch of lights to me, but I knew he was the one. Um, well, it's been an interesting year. I, um, I'll talk just briefly about uh, what's going on. You heard some of it from Scott in terms of the comic book world. Um, uh, there is another mini-series as well uh, that he hasn't told you about because I haven't told him about it yet. But um, uh, we are definitely going to be moving full steam ahead with the various verses um, and Dark Horse, as always, um, is just about the best studio to work for. So I'm so grateful to them. Um, another favorite studio of mine is me. And um, because I... You know, I, I think I really get it. You know, I get what an artist needs, and you know, I really treat myself well. And you know, I'm, I just feel that uh, I'm very supportive. And two days ago, I'm very happy to say, we actually finished post-production on Much Ado About Nothing. Very important thing to me. I cannot wait to show you people this movie. I don't know how I'm going to do that because uh, we are submitting it to some festivals and hopefully somebody will purchase it and put it in theaters. I don't know. That doesn't work. Check iTunes. <laughs> we'll find some way to get it to you. I am so proud of everybody in it, most of whom you will be familiar with. Um, you're going to see just people you love rocking Shakespeare so hard. It is, it is really really exciting. Um, it's a weird little piece, I'm not going to lie, um, but uh, it's been a great experience for me, one of the greatest. Uh, partially because I did something that I've never done before, and when I've never done something before, it's very terrifying, and when I'm terrified, then I know I'm having fun. I wrote the score. So it's my first, first score. And, um, uh, and if it's terrible, uh, then, well, it was my first. Leave me alone. Um, so that's been taking up my time, and uh, uh, we finished. And it was very exciting. And that meant that I, you know, didn't have anything that I had to do. So 45 minutes in, I became terrified. And instantly got together with Jed Whedon, Zach Whedon, Maritza Tancheron Whedon, and started talking about Dr. Horrible, too. <laughs> and we decided against it. <laughs> we were into three prequels, but they're gonna <laughs> uh, yes, we, uh, we have been working on it over the years, um, and it's years, I'm embarrassed to say, uh, but um, and it was really a meeting about how to move forward and also about how much we have and, and uh, the work that they've been doing and that we've been doing separately is really exciting. we got a bunch of songs, we know exactly where we're going. Um, I can't wait to tell you more about it, I'm not going to do it now, but um, it's... Uh, it's coming along, and uh, so that's actually going to start happening sometime, possibly, um, in the spring. Some of the actors in it uh, are very successful, <laughs> which is 
uh, curse and the blessing. So, um, but hopefully we'll be putting that up soon. And I am going um, directly from Comic-Con to London to meet with Warren Ellis to talk about Wastelanders. So, um, in the big picture, what's up for me? Uh, I have no idea. Um, uh, it's a good kind of fear, I think. Um, but uh, in, the, in the, micro, the macro, in the little picture, um, the stuff that's coming is very, very, very exciting uh, because I'm uh, working with the smartest people I know and uh, it's the kind of entertainment that not only do we create on our own terms, but we distribute it on our own terms, which means you guys get to see it <laughs> in order. <laughs> Now, Scott was not lying when he said I had not prepared anything to say. I would love to have prepared something to say. If I did, I said it 17 times already today. I have not stopped talking since I left this panel. Uh, that was earlier today, uh, which is why I'm starting to sound like a lean stretch. So, um, I'm gonna say that we should probably go ahead and introduce the question portion where you guys ask very long, detailed, complicated <laughs> questions, and I get to answer at least some of them, possibly in mime. <laughs> you know, what is it like to work at Fox? <laughs> um, so, uh, without further Question, please. Hi, my name is Lisa. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for continuing the Buffyverse in the comics. It's my favorite TV show ever, and season nine is awesome. Um, so I was just wondering, I love Andrew Chambliss and Scott Alley's writing, but were you going to write any of season nine or season 10? Um, first of all, um, enormous props to both those guys for taking over what was going to be so much more collaborative. Um, Andrew and I laid out exactly what we wanted to happen in the season, and then um, a few issues in, my brain exploded. And, um, and he took over in an extraordinarily manful fashion, and the stuff he's doing is, has such integrity and rhythm and humor, and he just, you know, he was not a Buffy writer, um, but he sure is now, and I'm really grateful. To both of them, I definitely think the most important involvement that I have is in the big picture stuff, the structure, where are we going with this character, who needs to be highlighted, who needs to be together, you know, what, what, what are we going to do? Um, that's where you know the idea stuff, being in the room, uh, which we don't get into very often, but um, you know, breaking it down, that's the most important. When I can, I love to write it. It's like a little vacation for me, um, and you know I'm certainly due for a vacation. But um, uh, in the main, I'm I'm very just I'm very grateful that now I have this extraordinary stable of people that I can trust with not only Buffy but Angel and Faith and all the things coming up. Um. Uh, so two of the biggest things at Comic Con are obviously you and Zombie Apocalypse. So, you touched on a little bit of the reverse, but I'm curious, if you were to write a zombie apocalypse, graphic novel, series, whatever, 
What would be your unique twist besides killing off all of the, our favorite characters? <laughs> show up in most of the stuff I do, and in fact, um, in a lot of the stuff I haven't done yet. Um, and my unique twist uh, usually is that, um, is, you know, I, I think that we assume we know where they're coming from. And, uh, and the thing that interests me the most about people is that what they assume is their worst trait and what they assume is their best um, are so often inter intermingled, or in fact, the same thing. And um, uh, so I, I feel like, you know, you look at like the rage, rage zombies from 28 Days Later, it's like, well, that's fine. Yeah, that's terrible, but I'm more interested in like our best intentions and how they turn us into uh, horrible zombies. Because let's face it, gotta have zombies. Gotta have a zombie apocalypse. Everybody wants one, it's fun. But for me, the twist is, where does it come from? It's not something that where you go, oh, you know, just shoot the head, it's all going to be all right. I mean, what if you had a zombie apocalypse and, you know, there was a chance that you could actually cure them and then you couldn't just shoot them in the head, um, but they were still out there trying to kill you. I would like to complicate it. Um, I think they become popular a little bit because they are fodder. Because, you know, you can mow them down and it's okay. Um, like in the 80s, that was foreigners. Um, but uh, now it's zombies or robots or, you know. Um, so I think uh, I would like to, you know, investigate not being able to take the easy way out of that situation. And then kill people that you love. <laughs> No, I mean for people that you love, like your family. Would you ever consider going back at the television? I wasn't actually in the television. So they broadcast, it's not little people. A lot of people make mistakes. Um, uh, absolutely, I love television, I think. Not only is it one of the most extraordinary mediums, but let's face it, most of the great storytelling that's being done on screens in America is being done on the television. So, um, would I like to jump back in that pool? I would. It's a huge commitment. I'm in the business now of figuring out which huge commitment is my next, so. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, TV rules, man. Hi. You mentioned Jason Palmer and that fan art you have at your house. Uh, there's a lot of uh, interest in um, film art, and I'm wondering whether you'd ever consider having a gallery official collection of art available for purchase, especially from Firefly and Dr. Horrible. Like, from a bunch of artists. 
Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out if I make money off this. Um, I mean, uh, because of the meaning. You know, uh, we, we, uh, awkward. Um, they shouldn't let me do these things when I'm tired. Um, they did something at Gallery, uh, 1988, and, um, uh, a lot of people did some cool interpretations of stuff. It comes up now and again. Uh, we don't have any official sort of Firefly art store stuff. All of this stuff is sort of tied up with likeness approval and licenses from whichever studio actually has the rights today. Um, and so it's not something that I uh, actively pursue just because it seems like uh, it would become difficult in a way that's not interesting. But I, I agree that it should happen. I'm for it. Sorry? A lot of interest, okay. <coughs> But like money? <laughs> All right. Well, if I find out you're selling another black market, I'm gonna kill that guy's family. <laughs> this is just getting weird. It's gonna be on a very dark panel. You know, it's like I'm always trying to get you guys to love me, love my story. Let's stop that. Let's tell the truth. I think I'm awesome. I pretend I don't. Okay? I think I secretly invented television. And that I am, like, enormously handsome and have a full and lustrous head of hair. Okay. But enough about you. Oh, um, hi, Joss Sweden. Um, <laughs> Joss Sweden. <laughs> Uh, considering we all love your work from Buffy to Avengers, like, Druggies on Crack, now that producers are probably more open to your work because of the success of the Avengers, um, is there any of your unrealized projects you want to go back to from before? Um, it, you know, it's come up. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it's, it always sounds weird coming from me because of the comics and the movie and the reboot. I'm not actually a big go-back guy. Um, once I've told a story, if it, even if it wasn't realized, I kind of, there's something that's, it's happened. That relationship has, has run its course. And, and um, there are definitely some stories that, uh, that are still in me that uh, sort of almost got out there. But I kind of tend to look forward. Um, and so I think the next thing um, that I create will be something that I haven't created yet. I got some ideas. I got some thoughts. <laughs> yes, you know, I, got, I'm, I got applause for being able to think. It's really, this is the best crowd ever. Watch, I can also watch. <laughs> is he some kind of Superman? seem to be walking and talking. <laughs> Does anybody have any gum? Please. Hi, I first want to say I'm a huge fan of all your work, including your walking. Um, I want to know which medium is your favorite, comics, television, or movies? Yes. <laughs> it's an absolute yes. They are so different, um, but uh, they are all storytelling. Um, and, you know, again, working on that score, 
uh, was a different way of communicating than I ever have before, but it was the same thing. It was writing. It was writing very specific uh, emotional moments, and that's the only thing that I want to do with my life, is create emotional moments, and I do not care where. Do you want a zombie apocalypse? You know, take a science class. But you can dribble it. Oh, sorry, were, you, were you waiting for the long emotional version? <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Sorry about that. Uh, God damn you. <laughs> My part now. You're dark. This is like the Frank Miller version uh, of me. Uh, I'm an aspiring, uh, I'm, fail, I'm a failed comedian, and uh, I turned to stripping, and uh, my question is, uh, what tips would you have for struggling artists, writers, to advance their careers or creative projects? Well, if you're stripping, why did you start with your shins? <laughs> Are they your best feature? Um, the, the, um, they're very attractive. The, uh, but I already met a guy over here. Very sort of monogamous. Um, uh, Honestly, my advice is, is the kind of advice that will make you want to slap me, but um, it's always just make things, make things, make them yourself. Put it online, shoot it with your phone, do it with your friends, get up some live stuff. I, it just, right now, we live in a completely different world than we did, um, and the, the good and the bad are completely together. It's like the music industry. On the one hand, there's the fortress, it's entrenched, and only three people can get in there and everything is high stakes. With the movies, they're literally, somebody said this phrase to me, eliminating the middle movie. They don't want to make the middle budget sort of prestige film. They just want the tentpole or paranormal activity. They want everything or they want to risk nothing. Um, this is actually a problem. This has been a continuum problem and it's getting worse. Luckily, I would never add to that problem. <laughs> So it really is about the DIY. It is about, you know, you have to make it happen yourself. You have to make yourself notice. You have to keep working at it um, because A, it's fun. B, the more product you get out there, the better you get at it. And with the technology that exists today, anybody can do it. Anybody. You don't, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. If you happen to be friends with Nathan Fillion, it makes it better. <laughs> when you see Nathan Fillion's Dogberry, that's it. That book is closed. That guy owns that role forever. It's gonna be amazing. But, even without a Nathan, um, there's so much you can do now, and you have to, um, because it's getting harder and harder to get to a place where you can do it for somebody else. 
nothing that's not still going on. People still make shows. People still write specs. People still, you know, are coming up in the industry. But for me, um, when you, if you want to make something and you just write it, then it's just written. If you can write it and then you can make it, assuming it doesn't have, you know, a zombie apocalypse. Well, actually, the zombie apocalypse is pretty cheap. You get your friends to look shitty and they run after you. <laughs> so there's really not much you can do. Uh, hi, Joss. Uh, big fan. Uh, I was wondering, what inspires you as a writer to write in so many genres of movies and television? Because you've done like horror, fantasy, uh, westerns, sci-fi. I mean, uh, I was just wondering, why do you? What's your inspiration behind that? About that? You know, <clears throat> excuse me. When I was a kid, um, my family used to make fun of me all the time because, well, they just did. But one of the reasons was that I loved every movie I saw, all of them, equally. I, no matter what, oh my God, and then he kills Jaws with a power line, and it's just as good as the first one. Like, I just was, I just loved it. And, you know, and, um, and that's the thing, is that I really do, I think, you know, my education was, was very much divided by genre. Uh, the great classes I took were musicals, westerns, noir, and, um, uh, and so understanding those genres as well as I was able to with the teachers I had really hit home how they worked in a way that really spoke to me. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I just love movies. I just love stories, and I love every aspect of them, and you, anybody can tell that when I'm writing something that's horror, it's gonna be funny, and when I'm writing something that's dramatic, someone's gonna sing, and I'm just, because I also have ADD. <laughs> hey, it's not funny, okay? I'm living with it. Um, my favorite characters of yours are all, always the evil ones, like Lila Morgan. How do you write your evil characters so they're still like relatable and likable to your audiences? Well, um, Everybody loves a villain for one thing. Um, but uh, the thing that hit me was Willem Dafoe. And I, I, I find very often actors articulate things as, as well or better than, than writers do um, about the process. And somebody asked him uh, when he had done The Last Temptation of Christ and right after uh, To Live and Die in LA, what do you like better, playing a hero or a villain? And he said, there is no difference. Everybody thinks they're righteous. And for me, that was like, Click moment. Um, you know, if they believe what they are doing, if they believe what they are saying, if they are not just there to be wrong, then they're going to be interesting. And because they're evil, they're going to be fun. So you take the combination of the reality of the fact that not any one of us is just one thing, and nobody is pure evil except for a couple of guys, or pure good except for me. And, um, <laughs> And um, uh, then you, you know, you mix that up. Uh, it makes it makes a fun dish. I will say, um, a big mo moment for me was when I wrote the scene where Angel uh, uh, has slept with Buffy for the first time, and then uh, in his evil acts like he's just a, you know, a cat blowing her off. And honestly, I put down my pen in amazement and was like, I had. No idea I was such a douche dust. <laughs> I couldn't believe that I could even say, the, have him say these things. He was so awful. And I 
was having so much fun with it. Um, we all want that release. We all want to be a little bit evil. Um, we, or we want the license uh, to be evil. A little bit. This is going on a Facebook status later. Um, first, I want to thank you for making such a strong female role growing up too with Buffy. And then your astonishing X-Men series is the reason why I love comics today. If only you had some kind of visual clue. Uh, yeah. How would I know that about you? Yeah. Um, with all of your amazing things, because you have said you're awesome before, um, I'm just wondering, what are you most proud of? Like, when you look back on your life, what is going to really stick out to you? Um, uh, I assume we're talking about the work. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully, it, it's something I haven't written yet, would be my first answer, but um, there are just, there are certain things that, uh, that you, you know, they sort of, they revolve. Obviously, for example, The Body, I think is the best episode of television. <laughs> but, uh, but there are things, you know, um, particularly in Astonishing X-Men, where I hit on some truths about humanity that I didn't understand until I wrote them. And I think that's the thing, you know, whether or not stuff lives on uh, years from now, whether or not five people read it, or, or in my case sometimes as many as 5,000. Um, uh, um, it's the things where you write something and you find something out um, while you're writing it, when the characters start teaching you. And for me, uh, Astonishing X-Men particularly, uh, particularly Emma's story, her arc, as well as the danger arc that comes before it, is about the idea of people always working at cross-purposes, that basically, um, just through consciousness, but also through the structure of our society, we are told two completely different things. We are given two different directives that we are constantly trying to accomplish. And that kind of confusion and dissonance and self-sabotage to me is the essence of what makes us human and in my case incredibly pathetic and I think that um, uh, you know I, I honestly didn't understand that until I was writing a comic book about it so those are the things that really that really have um, have really stuck with me are the things where I started to grow up a little bit because uh, my character has helped me too. Hi Joss. I like that you've written so many female protagonists, and I'd like to know if there are differences in the way that female protagonists are received in the various media in which you work, um, not so much by fans as by the industry. Well, um, you know, uh, when Buffy had been on for about three years, we started pitching the uh, Buffy animated series that never went, and literally, Got, well, she's got to have a male counterpart who's just as cool as she is or no one will watch it. Um, and uh, you kind of go, really? And I, th I think we moved past that. But you keep, you know, you're, you're always going to get this reaction against it. Until recently, um, you know, no female action-driven movie, you know, no female star in an action movie. It can't happen. They won't sell. There can certainly never be, 
any Hunger Games. Oh, now it's different, you know, and that's great. Also, because Jennifer Lawrence is awesome, see what goes on. But, um, uh, so, you know, the industry will change its mind uh, when, the, when the public, uh, you know, makes them. But uh, um, in terms of comics, I would say, you know, that's a, that's a much, uh, you know, a much more fer fertile field. I will also say that I have been to Comic-Con for more than a decade, and every time I go to the floor, I go with the intention of buying a cool statue of a female, and I have yet to find one that doesn't look like a porn star. <laughs> I was walking the floor yesterday and I was like, somebody needs to start a little like maquette business that has cool iconic poses from women um, that don't look like they're breaking their spines <laughs> and might be, dare I say, clad. Um, it's, uh, I mean, there's a male version of that, of being over muscular and, and striking weird poses and stuff, but honestly, um, it seems really late in the game for there to be nothing but cheesecake down there um, for the people to be buying and for the kids to be looking at. Hi, I'm a big fan of both you and William Shakespeare. And I was wondering, what made you choose Much Ado About Nothing to do a short independent film on. You know, um, <clears throat> uh, some practical reasons and some personal reasons. For a long time I didn't want to do much dude about nothing because it contained the words about nothing in the title, which for me is kind of a deal breaker. And uh, we had done uh, a bunch of readings at the house. Amy Acker and Alexis Denisoff had read Yeah, you guys are going to freak out, sorry. Um, uh, and um, I always said, oh, I would love to film this with you guys, that would be fun. But I didn't have a take on it. Uh, if, I, if you put a gun to my head, it would have been, you know, anything you can it would have been Hamlet, which is my personal favorite. And um, then one day I did. One day I sort of looked at it. I don't, I don't really know exactly how it happened. It was at the end of the Avengers. And... Uh, um, I just, my wife said, you really want to do this? And I looked at it and I said, oh wait, I think I actually know what I think he's saying and how I would portray that. And, uh, and then it all fell into place rather suddenly. It's kind of a dark movie. That's why we have certain noir kind of uh, crew shirts because, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of lying. And ultimately there's a real deconstruction of our notions of how love is supposed to operate and how courtship is supposed to operate. And, um, and he looks at it with a very cold eye and yet manages to find some redemptive romance in that anyway, and I find that uh, very compelling. So um, it seemed like, uh, who am I kidding? I just want to shoot any hacker again. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sorry, I was just admiring your shirt. Yes, as I was admiring yours. <laughs> I, I like to ask 
you. Uh, at what point did you think that the Avengers would be something special? They would make all that money and be popular and so forth. Um, well, I hoped it would be popular the whole time. But um, I did not at any point think that what happened would happen. Um, I, it felt right. It was very difficult structurally uh, to put together as a story. Um, but at no point did I feel like we didn't understand what movie we were trying to get to. And um, it's one of the great things about Marvel is that, you know, it's run by Kevin Feige, who is a super nerd, and really does get the idea of the story and the ethos of the comic that both he and I had grown up reading. Um, and, uh, but honestly, it wasn't until it happened, until, you know, people kept coming and coming back and coming back, that I understood that the thing that I was trying to do, which was to make the movie that I had grown up wanting to make because it was the movie I was seeing, the, you know, the summer movie that was still a movie um, and not a ride, uh, not to sound like an old curmudgeon, which I also am, um, uh, it felt like there was a need um, for that very, as he says, old-fashioned notion. Um, and uh, I had the need and I was so busy getting the movie done that I didn't really know if I'd fulfilled it, but it seemed like not only had I done that, but that other people had that need as well, which is enormous vindication and, um, and a beautiful thing. So that success means a lot to me. Uh, 
And for most writers, when they do that, like they have a TV show and it ends, it ends. But for you, you keep being involved with the sequel comics and the prequel comics and season eight. How do you avoid spreading yourself way too thin? I think we all know that I did not avoid spreading myself. <laughs> we all know there have been a few thin times in Joss's life. I'm honestly just a girl who can't say no. story and a universe of just this, it's, it's the most. Now, you, the, the other answer to that is, you know, what I call the Tim Minear factor. You find the people um, who can make it work when you turn your back to do the other thing. Um, it is hard to find those people. It takes years. And when you, when you find them, you clutch them to your bosoms because uh, they are the people who can help you get through this. Because I need to keep telling the stories, but yeah, honestly, I had to hire a writer for this one, okay? A ghostwriter. Um, and let me tell you something. I don't even think that guy's American, because some of his words are really weird. Hi, Joss. Um, really quick, there are a couple of really cool Wonder Woman statues. They make you look okay. I'm glad to hear it. And you know, I did. They did there was a Kitty Pride uh, that looked pretty good. I thought. Um, I'm not sure who did that. Um, my question for you is: uh, Do you have any plans to work on a stage musical? Here's the thing. Of course I do. But I have too many plans. And See above re-spreading thin. So um, the question is, do I have the time to, you know, to commit to what would be one of the largest and most difficult ventures I could encounter? Um, I don't know what the answer is. I'm at that place right now where there are many different projects floating in front of me, and I'm trying to figure out which one is going to sort of descend and say, okay, I'm the next one. Uh, but yes, I'm dying to do a stage musical. They are, they are and I can hear them saying to me, I'm not dead. I think I'll go for a walk. So there's still time before Eric Idle clubs them on the head. Hello, Doss. Uh, on my last deployment, I'm in the Navy. I watched. All of Buffy, all of Navy, of uh, Angel, straight through, and then roll straight into the season eight comics. Uh, I'm really digging the season nine comics right now. It's got the two sides with Buffy and then Angel and Faith. My question is right now, which one is your favorite between the two? Girls, girls, you're both pretty. <laughs> Honestly, I love them both for different reasons, and um, uh, it's exciting for me the Angel and Faith thing because it's a little more new. Um, but uh, I love what we're doing with Buffy so much um, that uh, I, I cannot choose between them. You, you've given me a Sophie choice, and I, and I will not take it. I, I want them both in your face. That guy's family better watch out. What am I? Hey, Joss. Uh, 
huge fan of your work. I actually host an event called Weedenthon in New York City, four years running. My question for you is, will we get more fray? Woo! Um, okay. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, fray is, uh, you know, it's, she's a part of the verse now in a way that you can't really ignore. I adore her and all of her, her friends. Um, I'm particularly fond of Gunther. And, um, uh, uh, you know, it's, again, it's a question of when we have the right idea and, and the time and the, and the talent. Um, she is, you know, very much in the mix. I want more fray. Um, I want, I want, you know, more sugar shock. I want all of those things. But, um, uh, we have to, it's gonna be a little bit, we got a bunch of stuff coming up and she's on the back burner, but she is burning. She is on fire. Woo! I said on fire. Hi, Joss Whedon. Um, everybody loves what you did with the Avengers. The previous movies were good, but what you did with the Avengers was fantastic. So, would you be willing to work on any future Marvel movies, like an Avengers 2 or Ant-Man or something like that? Well, um, uh, you know, they got Edgar Wright in the house for Ant-Man, so I don't know the status of that project, but if Edgar Wright makes something, then I go to see it. I to go to there. Um, uh, yes, uh, you know, I, I really care about those characters. They speak to me. Um, I do... You know, I did go straight from that to this, which means I did two things in a row that I didn't originate, which is a little bit, uh, a little bit rough for me. Um, but um, those characters, um, you know, I grew up a, a Marvel boy, and so uh, I, definitely, uh, I definitely have huge affection uh, for that whole world. So it's, um, you know, it could happen. I don't know. Maybe. We're afraid. We'll see. <laughs> I really enjoyed how you portrayed Natasha Romanoff in The Avengers. She was very strong, very feminine, and not the love interest, which was wonderful. Could you say a little bit more about uh, how you thought about the character when you went into direct Scarlet and looking at her in this group of men? Well, um, I love her character. Uh, in a way that I don't love any of the others, although I love them all, um, for different reasons. Um, she has the, the most darkness in her of any of them, and that's something that Scarlett Scarlet and I talked about uh, when we first met up, was that she has a really twisted past, and which meant that in the middle of my superhero movie, I got to make a little noir, and that was really fun. And just delving into that, and understanding her structure of how she deals with people, um, the idea of always appearing to be helpless and then using that to get people to reveal themselves to her. Um, it felt like the right character trait felt fun. When we shot the first scene with her, the first scene in the movie, um, where she's all tied up, um, the producer, Jeremy Latcham, said, you know, this is, uh, the only scene in the movie that is in it was in the first draft, word for word. And I'm like, that's actually enormously depressing. <laughs> but, um, uh, but the reason it is was that everybody said, no, this just works. And uh, 
and looking at it from that, I realized, oh, this works because it's my entire career in this scene. Look, she's helpless. No, she's kicking their asses. <laughs> focus on capturing the best moments of them, the best aspects of their characters, the best, the weaknesses, the, the, the page turners. It's always about, you know, the, the thing about comic books is every other page you get a, you get a chance to surprise somebody um, with a joke, with a reveal, something horrible, something wonderful, you know, it, and there's act breaks, there's, you know, every art form has those moments, but nobody has them as often as comic books do. Like you just can keep bringing that moment, so you're always looking for it. And if you put that in the movie, if it works and it's true to the characters, um, then everybody's happy, I think. That would be my most answer. Uh, just FYI, I think because you're right for Bones, they spent the whole time grilling David Boreanaz about Angel. <laughs> well, then we should talk about Bones. Now, the baby, why? Because... Avengers, awesome, but let's talk Cabin in the Woods. What did the film strip bring? Which monster and what was Kevin? And if you don't have an answer, lie to me. Um, it's not a question of not having an answer. It's a question of whether or not Drew would want me to tell. Um, but I will tell about Kevin. This was a very painful thing for Drew because I was the one who insisted we had to cut Kevin. Kevin was just a guy in a shirt that said, with a name of the thing that said Kevin, who would just horribly murder people. Um, but um, we had so many monsters going on and so many people running from them. I was like, I don't think visually anybody's gonna get how awesome Kevin is. So we didn't need to show Kevin. And I, Drew hasn't spoken to me since. <laughs> no, that part's not true. Now, you also have a good shirt on. It's a very good shirt. Um, I was just wondering what constraints you found uh, making Much Ado About Nothing, because it was a much smaller budget than the Avengers. Um, which, by the way, uh, when I said, 
my answer to the question of why I made it, um, uh, I forgot to include the fact that it all takes place in one location, um, which meant that uh, I didn't have to buy a location. So that was also a big consideration. Um, ultimately, you are going to have the exact same set of problems um, in any situation. Avengers or Much Ado, your actors are doing other projects. You scheduling them is a nightmare. Um, you know, locations are a problem. There's always going to be the same sort of thing. They work on a different level, but it really is. I mean, I spent the first three weeks of Avengers going, this is more like making an internet musical than anything I have ever done. <laughs> um, we were always one step ahead of the Reaper. The one thing I will say, um, Filming at your house seems like a really great idea. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, thank you. Um, it's the address of that guy's family. Um, <laughs> uh, but here's the thing about filming at your house. Uh, all people ever do is mow their lawn and make their dogs bark, and there are airplanes, and uh, sound, uh, it was like a nightmare. Um, apart from that, uh, you know, it really is, you know, you, I've always, you know, I work with what I've got. When the WB, we didn't have much money. We figured it out. Um, and that was the same uh, with, honestly, with Avengers. I know that sounds crazy. We had plenty of money, but we knew where it was going. They were like, you have this much time to shoot this really important dialogue scene and no more. Um, you know, we can't find this location, we have to use, I mean, all of the problems, they're all gonna happen all the time. And, and you know, you have to learn to bend your way around them. One of the reasons um, we shot Much Ado in black and white was that it is a noir. And one of the reasons was that it looks very elegant. And one of the other reasons is we just couldn't, we didn't have time to really create uh, a comprehensive lighting package. We used a lot of sunlight, but then we had to sort of use a lot of um, fake sunlight, and just mixing the color temperatures would have taken so much time um, that we just said, if it's black and white, no one will ever know. There's one scene we shot one side of at night and another side of uh, at noon, and you categorically can't tell. Um, and so you have to, you know, you take that into consideration too, and you build with the tools they give you. But it is never, I was never like, boy, I wish this was Avengers where I could digitally replace blah, 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 blah. No, it's, it's, am I having incredible fun? Do I care about what these people are doing? And is the craft service good? <laughs> Hi, um, I'm obviously not alone in being deeply impacted by your portrayal of women in the media, which is, you know, very zeitgeist changey, and um, you rock for that. Uh, but there's another strand in your writing that I haven't heard you talk about as much that I'm interested in. I really enjoyed reading some of what you wrote during the writer's strike a few years ago. I'm actually a union organizer by trade, and in a lot of your work, you've portrayed sort of a corporate big bad that's appeared in Angel, in Dollhouse, so, in 30 seconds or less, can you tell us what is your economic philosophy? Um, you know, I was, um, you know, I was raised uh, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in the 70s. 
um, by the you know by the people who thought you know John Reed and and the, the, the young socialists of the 20s were some of the most idealistic people, um, and that socialism as a model was such a beautiful concept. Um, and now, of course, it's become you know a buzzword for horns and a, and a, and a pitchfork. And um, uh, and you know I, we're watching capitalism uh, destroy itself um, right now. Uh, and ultimately, all of these systems don't work. I tend to you know want to champion uh, the working class uh, because. They are getting destroyed. I write about helplessness. Helplessness in the face of the giant corporations and the enormously rich people who are very often in power, giving those people more power to get even more power. Uh, we are turning into czarist Russia. Okay, we are creating a nation of serfs. That leads to, oddly enough, revolution and socialism, which then will lead to totalitarianism. Nobody wins. Um, it's really, really, really important that we find a system um, that honors both our need to achieve and doesn't try to take things away from us, but at the same time honors everybody's need to have a start, to have a goal, to have a life, um, to have an income, to have a chance. Um, uh, the, uh, the fact is these things are, have been taken away from us very, sometimes very gradually, sometimes not so gradually, since the beginning of the Reagan era, and it's, it's proved to be catastrophic for so much of America. Um, during the writer's strike, I was furious. I remain furious. I'm not always sure what to do about it. I don't think most of us are. But um, I do know that what's happening right now in the political arena is that we have people who are trying to create structures or preserve structures that will help the working class and the middle class and people who are calling them socialists. And nobody has the perfect answer, but I honestly think we are now in a political debate that is no longer Republican versus Democrat or even conservative versus liberal. It's about people who are trying to make it work because they still remember, they still have some connection to the idea of personal dignity and people who have gone off the reservation and <laughs> Jesus Christ came to America. Just to be clear, so the people you want for your team on the X-Men are as follows. 
and I read that, and that was where I first coined the term nerdgasm. Um, I, I just couldn't believe that my life had become that. Um, you also would have been very amused to see me when I met Neil Adams and when I met Bernadette Peters. I could not speak. I was like, me, 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 actually very sad, but in a beautiful way. Um, I have to uh, say one more thing, which I forgot to say, um, because I know this, but I don't know if everybody else does. Um, next season, uh, we are going to have a special presentation, um, thanks to um, our friends on the CW, who will be airing Dr. Horrible on television for the first time ever. This all got and twisted, and for the things I'm going to do later. But as always, I am so grateful and so thrilled that you guys came out. And I hope next year to have an entirely new slate of things for you to ask questions about because I just want to tell you more stories. I love you guys.